we just static in mm. some beautiful field of love? Welcome back, Neurons, to the second part of my conversation with Greg Cravens. And it's, uh, I'm going to say, it's just as good as the first first half of the conversation because uh, I think I established already that Greg Cravens is a fantastic storyteller, whether it's through comics or through conversation. There is definitely an art form that has flourished through the years and years of just doing it. The years and years of, of being a storyteller, being a cartoonist, being somebody that puts puts his nose to the grindstone and is just out there doing it. It should be, it, well, it is, for me at least, very inspirational and gives me a lot of hope while I am slaving away, sweeping and mopping and wiping and scrubbing out those filthy, dirty toilets. Um, hopefully, it, it makes me it makes me uh, hopeful that um, this is something that I can pursue and something that one day I can achieve. And one day it might, or it will, it will pay the bills. It will be that thing which I don't do just for fun, but I do for a living. So I one day hope to get there and uh, follow in, in the in the footsteps of giants like uh, the likes of Greg Cravens. So without further hesitation, without any more obstruction, let's go ahead and just dive right back into the conversation so that so I don't I don't know I don't know. So that what's just so that we can just continue. But before I do, let me just um, if you're looking for more Greg, uh, throw his name into your favorite search engine and just uh, see where it takes you. And I'm sure it's going to take you good. It's take you good. I'm sure it's going to take you someplace good, someplace great, someplace magical to maybe the Buckets comic. Um, maybe you'll read that and have a laugh or, or feel connected or just feel inspired. Um, maybe, maybe you'll find another artist connected to Greg and then that's how this kind of, this, how, that's how this thing works. We're all connected and, and from one artist, you find another artist, you find another artist and 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 another artist. How long has, has that been? Buckets actually started in 1990, but that was when Scott Standish started it. Okay. And uh, a few years later, he wanted to, to expand his free time, so he hired me. He actually tried out several other people before he got around to me. I found out later. <laughs> um, hired me just to do the artwork. But I wanted... I, I, so he, was, I, he was still writing it? Yeah. Yeah, he was still writing it. But I still wanted a comic strip. Because that, that weird childhood thing where you go, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. 
I was I, I that that welled up in me before I knew what was going on. So I was writing scripts and handing them off to him and going, D "Are these funny? You know, can we use these?" And he's like, "You know, that's my job, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, but just look over these and are any of these funny? You know, can this be? You know, if you don't like that, can we change it and then you would like it?" So after a while, he's like, uh, "Do you want to buy the strip? Because I'm going to go off and do Prickly City now." And you're doing great with the buckets. You've been writing it for a while. It's like, you know, well, let, let me sell it to you. So in 2006, I think, was when we actually signed contracts. And uh, wow. and I took the thing over permanently. And his name dropped off of it at that point. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's a, a big chunk of my time and energy. I've got I've got a week's worth that needs to get – I got – a week's worth that needs to get finished tomorrow and another week's worth started that I need to finish before Monday. Uh, cause I'm about to head to Florida for a, a seminar thing about, you know, game theory and designing games and puzzles and stuff, uh, which is, is nuts. You know, you go, okay, well, I just need to get an extra weeks for the cartoon. That's only seven cartoons. And then you realize it takes you yeah. three weeks to wedge another week's worth of cartoons <laughs> You know, into yeah. the same time frame, um, and now, of course, I've I've dig I've had so many digressions. I have no memory of what I'm supposed to be talking about. Yeah, yeah. That, by the way. But it's it's a conference for. Are you going to be talk? Are you going to be speaking about are you illustration for games? I'm or? not actually going to be. I to be doing a lot of the speaking at all. I'm not. I, I don't think I'm doing any speaking. In fact, I I think I'm actually there to fill out the number of creatives that we've that they've got taking some of these other seminar things and then being able to produce games it's it's this the first year they've ever done this thing so they're kind of loading the the uh, membership because when when by the end of it you're supposed to have learned enough game theory and enough design theory that you can then create a card game that efficiently uh works also as a training module and the stuff goes oh, off cool. to a, a company and actually gets produced. So, you know, in the mail, two or three weeks later, you get your card game after you've been to the seminar. So they wanted to make sure that there was somebody sitting there that could actually knock out the artwork and do something slick looking that, you know, they can then next year sell more spaces by going, look at what was done last year in the inaugural year of the of the the seminar, seminar, you know, th mm -hmm. these games were produced and this kind of work was done. And, you know, they're hoping that they can really load it up next year. Yeah. That's kind of neat. It's, uh, it's fun. You... It was a great opportunity. I'm, I'm really grateful for it, but it also means that I got to, you know, jump and run to Florida, which I don't normally do. <laughs> do you like the traveling? Um, I enjoy the traveling. I don't enjoy the, the insane amount of work that has to get done before I travel. Mm -hmm. the stuff that that can't get done before and then has to be done while i'm traveling and then the stuff that when i get back that you got to scramble and try to <laughs> try to make up all the all the difference all the slack that you've you've let accumulate um yeah oh, I, know, I know there's people like like uh sergio Arganis. if you've ever read uh grew the wanderer or looked at mad yeah. mag yeah um, <laughs> oh mad magazine i miss mad Mag. I, I do too. I don't know what we're going to do without that. That was a cultural icon, yep. but Sergio oh, yeah. can travel and work 
And apparently in a lot of these these pages of Gru the Wanderer that he's done over the years, there'll be a little notation down in the corner of the page that'll, you know, say like, you know, Barcelona, Spain. And a lot of people apparently assumed that that was um, the the inspiration for some of the backgrounds on that page or something. No, that was where he was when he drew that page. You'd have a Gru <laughs> comic book that had three or four little city names down in the corners of the pages. And you go, Man. You know, why are these weird places from all over the world being used? That's where he was. He travels all the or used to travel all the time. And apparently could travel with enough of a studio that he could just keep on working. And for me to do that, it, it it's bulky and obnoxious. And I hate having to move that much gear at any time. And then, uh, yeah, that's um one of the reasons that I went completely digital. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Josh, the guy that, that did the, the ink and color or the second issue of uh, Stone Ninja worked entirely digitally. It was it was it was nice. You know, we'd have these meetings in my studio where the writer's going on and on about something. And you know, you'd look over and Josh is working on page 17. You know, I, I'm, I'm hunched over my drawing table and I've got you know, junk all over the place. And I'm trying to find, you know, riffle through papers. Go, oh, here's this other thing we needed. OK, now I got this. Hey, I, everything's on his Cintiq tablet. Nice. Yeah, very, very professional, man. And the the tablets they're coming out with these days are whew, like I, I wish I would have had that when I was a kid. I remember the first the first tablet I had. Oh man, it's Star Trek compared to what yeah, you know, it is. It really is. Kid. It's in the the first tablet I had had like this rough service. Like it was one of the first tablets oh, yeah, yeah. making. Oh, it was such a nightmare to draw with because your lines would come out all bumpy. I'd heard about that. I I, I don't think I ever played with one of those. Um, my, my alternate story for that kind of thing, I, I told you, you know, going to college, this is Memphis state in 1983, 84, something like that. Um, we had, we had these, uh, um, IBM computers and they had like a, like a Wacom tablet off to the side, only it wasn't, it was, it was, it was, you know, a, a pad that used a pen, but the pen had this gigantic cable. <laughs> yep. That sounds like the one I had. Plugged into the back of the computer, and every time uh, uh, campus police drove by with their CB radios on, you lost whatever was on your screen. There was a cable. Why why would a radio interfere with the thing that's it's hardwired on? And you know, so things have changed so much now. Yeah, you can you can pull your Wacom tablet out and you know jack it into a laptop. And work on an airplane. Yeah, you know, man. And, and it, nothing causes anything to to scatter or you know or break down or stop working or whatever else. But you have these old systems with their gigantic bulky pens, you know. And like I said earlier, with uh, you know the things drawn in pixels that are the size of your thumbnail. Yep. And and any random you know voice message on on common radio signals. We just wipe out everything you've done. Um, yeah, that's why I'm so jealous of um, this like next generation or a couple generations coming up who are just like, they got the best drawing apps. They got the best drawing technology. Uh, computers yeah. are so fast. You don't like, there's pretty much, there's like zero lag now when you're drawing. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, the way I look at it is, a lot of them are going to study 
old stuff because you know people that that are really into it like musicians will go back and listen to to really old recordings and they'll they'll, they'll scramble to actually hear the originals uh you know artists that want to do cartoons and they want to hark back to stuff that was done in the in the early 1900s are going to look at uh you know stuff like prince valiant and the original flash gordon stuff you mm -hmm. know Alan artwork or Bern Hogarth and some of the old, old, old Tarzan comic strips and go, yeah. how did they draw that? Because I've been working with my tablet for, for months trying to get that effect and I can't get that effect. Well, that effect is a particular sort of brush with a particular sort of ink on a particular kind of paper. And it's somebody who was trained to use a brush and they knew how to flick their wrist and they knew how to turn the page and they knew, you know, there was all these, these weird little things that a computer is not going to be able to mimic because mm -hmm. there's, no, there's not enough call for that sort of look anymore. So, you know, nobody's going to design a, a, a special brush to be able to do stuff like that. So the technical ability to draw with a, with a watercolor brush is going to limit the the kinds of art styles that some people are going to want. Um, I remember when uh, comic books had all pretty much gone digital, and there was one guy in the Southeast chapter of the National Cartoonist Society who was, who was running around trying to get somebody who worked on the computer, and I was one of them, to tell him how to make uh, moray patterns. In, in halftone dots in the computer. And everybody's looking at him and going, why would you want a moray pattern? It, it looks terrible. He goes, because comics look like that in the 70s, and that's what I want. And it, it was because uh, it was, it yeah. was cheap, cheap printing plates that were slightly off kilter, and they were being printed on a thing called a flexo press that, that would, you know, the, the belt, that that rode you know the the paper through the machine would actually start to like skip and hop and it would ruin the lines and it would ruin the color but that's what this guy read when he was a kid so that's what he wanted to see and we're like but are you doing a comic that is supposed to be set in the 70s or it's supposed to be a nostalgic comic is that why you want that old look you know that and and the, yeah. the old, old bad ink you know it and he was like, no, I just want that look. So he didn't even have a graphic design purpose behind what he wanted. He wanted it because he wanted it. Mm -hmm. you know, a comic book was supposed to look like. And, uh, you know, everybody said, don't do that. You know, if you're, if you're doing a, a, a satire or a parody and you need it to look like the 70s because it's a flashback and then the rest of it's going to look like modern comics... I get that, but unless there's a reason to do it that way, other than I like it, you know, I yeah. remember when I was a kid. Yeah, that's not a good enough reason, and and I don't think he ever agreed with any of us. I think he wanted it. <laughs> uh, nostalgia plays a heavy role in a lot of, I think, decisions uh, that are coming out lately with yeah, any and kind it, of media. Yeah, it's nostalgia is always going to play a part, but the people feeling the nostalgia are going to swap out because you've got, you know, once, once you die, <laughs> there's nobody feeling that nostalgia anymore. Yeah. You know, and the next set of, like I've, I've heard a lot of people wax rap, wax rhapsodic 
about uh, G.I. Joe and they want to talk about G.I. Joe this and G.I. Joe that. I had a guy at the, at the Cooper Young Festival today talking about G.I. Joe was so great. And I had snake eyes and I'm like, oh, he's not even talking about G.I. Joe. Because I grew up with the 12 and a half inch tall, fuzzy headed guy with the, the uh, if you pull on his dog tags, you know, let's go take that hill. Yeah. You know, it was all this. It was He was a soldier. You know, he was a soldier and his hands were weird and, and they were, you know, they were there to hold a rifle. And, and that was all of it. His fingers were any good for, him. you know, G.I. Joe with a Kung yeah. Fu grip didn't come along until years later. And then, you know, by the time I was old enough and the, and the little, little six inch tall G.I. Joe guys came out and they all had their own little costumes and they had their own, you know, little happy pirate nicknames, you know, to me and people my age, that wasn't G.I. Joe. Those are little superheroes, and I wasn't interested, and people my age weren't interested. So our nostalgia was for the the fuzzy-headed guys, and of course, you know, older uncles and my dad's nostalgia. You know, GI Joe had plastic hair, not the fuzzy hair, so that's not really GI Joe. You know, and where, where's this tank? GI Joe's supposed to have a tank. You know, you got this this weird little six-wheeled Egyptian thingy. You know, and yeah. that, that's not GI Joe. Yes, it is. So you know, all the nostalgia depends entirely on what you were ready to see when you were a kid right i have no nostalgia for teletubbies and my, <laughs> my kids claim not to remember anything about teletubbies but by golly i you know, know you show it to them now and they go oh i remember this that was funny i used to laugh and go yes you did you used to laugh your head off and so you know my, my kids have this weird nostalgia for teletubbies <laughs> Yeah, we bought my daughter like a collection. Someone was selling on eBay of just a bunch of Teletubby dolls, keychains, and oh no! Yeah, we bought that <laughs> for her and we set it up in her crib, and like she loved them. So, like she oh, would yeah? just wake up from her nap, and uh, she must have been like four or five years old, just talking to her Teletubbies, just yep. all lined up in her crib. The, the cartoonist version of that is, you know, people my age remember having to get up at like five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning, because that was the only time cartoons are going to be on was Saturday morning and you couldn't miss any of them. You know, yeah, all, you wouldn't know what would happen. Yeah, they're going, they're going to go off at 1130 when the Tarzan movie comes on. And, you know, you, you, that's the only chance cartoons didn't come on any other time. There were no VCRs. You didn't have tapes of your favorite cartoons. That was it. Saturday morning. That was it. You know, so I've got all this weird nostalgia for the original Scooby-Doo. Even though you can go back and look at it now and go, well, this was such crud. You know, <laughs> eight, eight frames a second, and they're running past the same table and the same lamp over and over and over again. You know, they're just they're just rotating the backgrounds, and, and it's a walk cycle in front of it. But because that's what I lived for when I was a kid, because you couldn't just turn on cartoon network because there was no such thing right that's where my nostalgia is and of course my my kids nostalgia is for a completely different scooby-doo <coughs> excuse me and and different sets of scooby-doo because scooby-doo was coming out you know every every year there was a new version of it by the time they were looking at anything <coughs> yeah it's uh it's i don't know it's weird <laughs> To say the yes. least. And it's weird if you try to hang on to your own perspective. If you if you let your your view kind of expand a little bit and you go, Did my dad go through this? No, my grandfather think about stuff like this. That's when you start going, Oh yeah, my perspective was too tight. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> or when you become the that guy who's like, this day is terrible. There's no good music today. Yeah, yeah. you never want to be that, you know. I, when I was a kid, you know, parents looking at comics going 50 cents. I remember when comics were a dime, you know, and you don't yeah. want to be that bad. And then, of course, when my kids first saw comic books, like four ninety nine. when I was a comic book, or when I was a kid, the comic books were only 50 cents. Right. <coughs> but um, I remember uh, I remember comics was like I could go with two dollars and 50 cents and buy a comic. And um, then, like, did you follow a lot of comics in the 90s? Like, were you big Marvel or big DC or big indie? My big comic buying wound down in the late 80s. So I was buying a few issues here and there in the early 90s. Mm. And then, you know, of course, later on when graphic novels became a standard... Yeah. Oh man, I was in heaven. Uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big change because I could go in, I could sort of pick and choose what I wanted to catch up on. Um, but the what was what was the first Marvel graphic novel? Was it that uh, X Men God Loves Man Kills, or was it it was something like that? I don't I don't remember because I was in like I got into comics and then I kind of fell out of comics and then in kind of my junior high school year I was probably like twelve. Uh, image comics came out and that like kind of blew my mind with what they were doing. Like it was like so refreshing. Yep. So I kind of didn't follow the whole Marvel or I don't follow Marvel much anyway. So, well, and when you're a kid, it's always, you know, Marvel or DC, you got to pick one, I guess. Yeah. I, I pick image. What happened to image comics, man? I miss it. <laughs> Um, I was a Marvel kid and, you know, Dr. Strange, I was, you know, mm-hmm. I was, uh, I, I don't know if anybody remembers this anymore, but when you could still buy comics in every quickie Mart and every grocery store, yeah, there were oh, these, man, there were these about that too. three packs, yep. uh, <laughs> companies that would repackage out of date comics and you get three in a pack. So, you know, you could see the one that was on the front. <clears throat> and if you were lucky, the one on the back was turned around so that you could see the cover of that. But there was always that third comic in the middle of the plastic bag, and you couldn't tell what it was going to be. And you, you know, you'd get home and you'd tear it open, and it would be like you know, Marvel Adventures featuring Fondar the Barbarian. And you're going, I don't, you know, what in the world is this? And I got a really weird Doctor Strange in one of them. And that sort of cemented me being a Marvel person. Cause I thought this was, this was weirder and better than Batman and Superman and Superboy. And I'm, you know, I'm sick of all that crap. All right, neurons. Now is the time of the show where I interrupt and remind you to help support those who support the neon neuron like Greg Cravens, who can be found at uh, a lot of places, namely Instagram. You can find Greg on Instagram at Greg underscore 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 Cravens and on Twitter. I believe it's at Hubris Comics. And you can also find his comic Buckets at GoComics.com. So I highly Highly. I mean, I couldn't even recommend enough that you go to all of those places, or if not all of them, at least one of those places, 
and throw a follow, throw a like, throw some money his way, because that's how we keep the community alive. Ain't it the truth? Ain't it? I've, uh, I've digressed enough that I've, I've totally wandered off the subject again. Um, <laughs> oh, um, yeah, so this, this would have been like 85, I think, was the first time I walked into a comic shop and they had a graphic novel. And it was it was Marvel trying to just sort of squeak in there. And it none of the content was from a, a comic. It was all done just for the graphic novel. It, it had never seen print before, which was just an outgrowth of some magazines that Marvel had been doing before that. I've got some old Submariner and, and Hulk magazines and Conan the Barbarian magazines. They were, they were meant to be on uh, adult newsstands mm. and they were better stories. And they, you know, they were, there was rougher language and, and it said, you know, mature audiences only on the cover. Mm. And they were trying to compete with heavy metal magazine <clears throat> that had been coming out of uh, France and was what you yeah. graduated. That changed my life. Yeah, yeah. Finding out about Heavy Metal Magazine was like, oh, I didn't know they could do this with comics. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Well, you know, France never had the Comics Code Authority, excuse me, which is when in the U.S., the government basically said all comics are now for children, and they've all got to be made safe for children. Well, in Japan and in France, that never happened. They there was comics for adults, and there were comics for children, and everybody was happy. And nobody said all comics have to be for children. But of course, with seduction of the innocence and all that crazy stuff that went on in the fifties, that led to the uh, the Comics Code Authority. That was basically just the law saying comic books can now no longer be for grownups at all ever. So wow, the That's- U.S. the U.S. lost a step. Because in France, you've got all these neat adult comics that wound up being heavy metal. And uh, any, any uh, uh, Luc Besson movie, uh-huh. you know, Valerian in a Thousand Worlds or Lucy or um, uh, The Fifth Element, that's, those are all just straight up and down. That's heavy metal magazine. Straight out of their pages. Uh-huh. And it's because they were written and and designed for adults because France didn't say, as a culture, we're not going to have cartoons for adults anymore. Everything's for kids. This is, that's like really fascinating, especially seeing how things, how far things have come. Like, yeah, we, we caught back yeah. up. Yeah. We caught back up and, and, you know, an adult audience said, okay, well, now comics are only in comic shops, so we can control who's seeing stuff. Let's throw out the Comics Code Authority. We can completely ignore it, and we can do, you know, Conan the Barbarian, where women are getting their clothes torn off, and it's not titillation. It's actually, you know, part of a storyline now. It's right. not just the cover where you're trying to sell the comic. Um, and we can have aliens you know running around doing completely insane things in an adult themed concept you know we can have we can have you know violence that that is supposed to be a metaphor for something and isn't just sergeant rock 
trying to kill the Nazis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what fascinated me so much. Another thing that fascinated me so much about Image Comics too, when they finally like hit the scene, and you not only did you have all the great artists from Marvel and from DC being like we're fed up with the way you guys do things, we're doing it our own way, and then they didn't have the the Comics Code Authority A on there. Yeah, and and had no intention of ever dealing with it because it it really wasn't part of their generation either. It was what they had seen in comics, but they'd grown up and they had decided to bring their audience along with them. And the audience was more than willing to come along. I don't want to quit reading comics. Why aren't there any comics for adults? And suddenly there could be, which Mm -hmm. was nice. But, you know, if you try to do that in the 60s, people would would point back to Comics Code Authority. And the only option was uh, the fabulous furry Freak Brothers and all the, the Robert Crumb you know, yeah, uh, really, really adult theme stuff, Ritz the cat and all that. And that was all reactionary and it had to be called underground and people started. Yeah, otherwise. Calling. Yeah. Kind of like why they had to stop marketing Joe Camel to. Uh, yeah. And you know, people would, people would get put in jail uh, for having those, those comics in their shops in San Francisco. Even though, you know, you could say nothing in the shop is for a child. And they go, that's a comic book. You're under arrest. It's a comic yeah, book that has nothing a... to do with the Comics Code Authority. And it's pornography. And it's got drug use in it. So, you know, you're going to jail. The censors have spoken. Sorry, are you a, a, a fan of, um, of censorship? Or you understand when it's necessary oh. or why it's necessary? Yeah, I don't. I don't say that there can never be any censorship and I don't say that everything has to be censored. Um, I'm, I'm still with, you know, the Japanese and the French, you know, is there some reason that, that, that comic books for adults? Yeah. At some point though, you know, we just, we just threw it aside. Well, yeah, that having raised a couple of kids, I would like to see some censorship around some things, but even when you try to censor it, like with the Deadpool movie, put a great big rated R on there. They made a special point of pointing out the rated R. Don't take your children to this movie. And people were like, well, it's a superhero movie. It's for kids. Did did you not hear what we just said? Now, all right, you can take your kid, but don't come out of there complaining that it wasn't for children because we told you going in. That's, you know, if you've got a censor standing up going, I'm a censor and I'm the person that's looking after your kids. Don't ignore me. That's one thing. And then if you've got people who are going to ignore it and complain about it, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Welcome to the internet. Yeah. Just, yeah, just like anything else. It's, uh, it's got its uses and it can be abused. And the yeah. balance, the balance in between is tricky because these days, you don't have people that, that are willing to make a mistake and then say, well, that was my mistake. These days you got, I made a mistake and I'm going to sue somebody so that I can profit from my mistake. Um, <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park, when that came out a gazillion years ago now, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the T-Rex uh, bites the lawyer that had been hiding in the, in the public restroom outside its paddock bites mm-hmm. him in half pretty much if i remember right um my mother happened to have gone to see that movie with some friends of hers and you know these are old ladies they've gone to see a movie isn't that cute 
Well, <laughs> she realizes pretty quick, there's some woman sitting behind her with a very small child, like eight, 10 years old, who obviously said, oh, look, a dinosaur movie. Dinosaur movies are for children. Took her child to see that. And after the T-Rex bites the lawyer in half and leaves part of it, you know, lying across a yeah. shattered toilet, my mother's, everybody gasps and then quiets down. You're watching the movie. There's this tiny, tiny voice behind her that goes, is he going to be okay? <laughs> the answer is no. And you're not supposed to be in this movie because you're eight. And your yeah. mom ignored the R rating. You know, have a nice childhood. Sleeping tonight's going to be an entertaining, <laughs> it's a really entertaining thing. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, um, I, I do, I watch a lot of kung fu movies. And then, uh, from like China, uh, Donnie Yen, Jet Li, and even the uh, Cowboy Bebop anime, the movie they, the feature film or the feature movie they came out with, it all like all these movies have R ratings. And I'm like, all it is is just kung fu. Like, there's no blood, there's no sex, there's no gore. It's just a lot of kung fu. Like, I couldn't figure out why these movies are rated R. Like, I want to show my kids these, but my my wife would be like, "No, it's rated R." And I was like, "Yeah, but there's nothing bad in them." Well, can you get her to watch them and then and then let her see, or is she just like, <laughs> "I'm not watching that"? No, she's she's uh become more lenient over. The I guess she kind of understands that. Uh, well, I don't know if she understands that foreign movies are getting harsher ratings because I don't know why, but she's, yeah. she's eased off a lot. So my kids have been able to see um, more Kung Fu than they want. And also some <laughs> very, very artsy uh, French films. Like I showed them city of lost children. I was like, they have to see this. This is such a magical story that they, they got to see it, even though it's rated R. Yeah. Well, you know, but but you're being a parent and you're you're checking it out first you're not just going oh it's a dinosaur movie let's go see it right yeah which i think is the uh, would that be considered the problem with parents these days anybody who wants to uh <laughs> just 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 shorthand everything and go well you know if it's a superhero movie it's got to be for children if it's a dinosaur movie it's got to be for children if if you're trying to to you know wing your way through life by short, yeah, shorthanding everything. every answer, you, you're going to find out that you're wrong a lot and you're going to wind up really upset in a lot of places and looking for who to blame, yeah. I guess, you know. <clears throat> Are you planning on doing anything other than Buckets and Stone Ninja, like comic book wise or story wise, like um, uh, something that something of, of your own? I've got uh, I've got hubris that I've been doing for nine years now, nine years next month. Is this a web comic or? It's a web comic, and I invite everybody to go and see hubriscomics.com. <laughs> and uh, there's nine years worth of cartoons to catch up on, and uh, I hope they're fun. It's uh, it's a it's a cartoon that's basically about the lunacy that goes on around a guy who owns. A store that sells guitar and uh, guitar uh, sells uh, kayaks and bicycles and skateboards and and all the outdoor fun stuff that I like to go play with. So mm -hmm. rather than going and playing with those things, I, I did a cartoon about it, uh, <laughs> and I'm hoping 
to wrap that up in November of 2020, which will be 10 years. And so like then, to be com done with it? Uh, completely, you know, write the, the ending, write the epilogue, tie it up in a nice bow, and then reprint the whole pile of things in one big book as, as opposed to the, the three smaller books that I've got now and, and probably have enough material already for another book or two. But yeah, I want to I want to do the whole ten years in one big fat, you know, the complete hubris, and that ought to be fun. So that's that's the one indulgement indulgent thing that I've done with you know what do I want to create? That's been my that's been my thing about what I wanted to create. Other stuff I'm doing is all uh, you know advertising, and and I've learned that that training modules. Uh, Corporate mm -hmm. America has discovered the term graphic novel. And for the most part, they don't know what they are, but they know they want one because everybody at the seminars says that you need to do all your training modules in graphic novel style, which <laughs> just means, you know, illustrated. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been doing a bunch of those things and they're fun. Uh, they're work intensive, but they pay well because the people that need them. And when I say need them, I mean, they're actually using them to train people with in a corporate environment, which works. Um, they have they have good budgets. They have corporate budgets to spend on getting them right the first time. And uh, I say that with a half a grin on my face because one of my clients got we got done with all the artwork and in the training module you were supposed to and and I forget how many scenarios you got the setup and you were supposed to choose from three alternatives. And it was all, this was all emergency training. So it was like, okay, you find a backpack at one of the remote locations and it's obviously new and clean and it's set right next to the gate. And if, you know, if, if something goes wrong with this, this backpack, if there's actually a bomb in it, it's going to blow a hole in this pipeline. What do you do? And you've got <laughs> one, two and three to pick from, you know, do you, you know, go and poke it to see if it really is a bomb or whether it's something that somebody dropped off there. Do you, you know, get in the car, drive away and call the cops. Do you, you know, there's your, your, your questions and then right. you got to answer it and you got to, you got to pick the correct answer. Otherwise you get the buzzer and your, your, your grade's not that good. And you got to go back and take your training module again. Yeah. <laughs> the art director for the thing who was uh, a corporate person, not an ad agency person. I, I actually usually rather work with ad agency people for the creative end, all this stuff. But this, this was a client that had called me direct and they wanted to do it all in house, except for my part. And I was, that's mm -hmm. fine. She rewrote the stuff. She used all the same artwork, but she didn't want to quote unquote waste the wrong answers. She was afraid that people were going to select the right answers and never see the artwork for the wrong answers. So she made it a scroll deal where it would show you the two wrong answers before it showed you the correct answer <laughs> so that everybody saw all the artwork. And I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea, but you can't tell the, the client that because right. you know, that's the way that, that they're looking at it going, this is more beneficial. People are going to say, okay, you know, here's this, this wrong answer. That's what I would have picked, but Oh, Oh, here's the right answer. This is what I should have done. I like the idea of a game and, you know, maybe you do miss some artwork. I don't care if they mm -hmm. miss some artwork, but uh, yeah, the client didn't think so. The client wanted everybody to see all the panels of artwork. <laughs> That's kind of nice. It was, it was flattering. 
Yeah. But I thought it was it was possibly a bad business decision, but it's hard to tell. It's hard to pin that on somebody. Right. Uh with with like what you know about that, I think um something something that a lot of uh artists are doing these days are like visual novels where it's kind of like a game, but kind of like you're reading scenes play out so it's not like an actual game where you're running through stuff but it's kind of like right. where you're reading it's more like one of the old books they used to call choose your own adventure yeah where you read a so, chapter and you get to the end of the chapter if you decide the character should do this turn to chapter four if you decide the character should do that turn to chapter two yeah exactly have you um have you thought about doing any of that with uh some of your comics or something new? Or I um, I I know a guy that owns an ad agency now. But back when we were in college, he was he was trying to sell scripts to DC, and one of the ones that he had sold at some point, then it looked like it was going to get done, and then uh, somebody else, I don't know, took over head editorship or something. But it was uh, this was brilliant. I still I still think it was brilliant. It was a it was a choose your own story, except at the end of every you know like three or four pages or whatever it was that, you know, where you had to make the next decision, uh, you flipped a coin and it was heads or tails that, that told you where the story went next. And of course it was a Batman story and the villain was mm -hmm. Joker. No, two face. You flipped two faces coin. Right. And if it came up heads, that was heads. And if it came up tails, that was the scarred heads, you know, so two face was either going to act, like a hero or ha act like a villain based entirely Man. on your coin flips. You know, what's crazy is that nobody has done that yet. That's genius. That's a oh. brilliant concept. Charles, the guy that, that had the concept and thought he had it sold. I think when, when they, when they backed off of it, he said, somebody's going to do that someday. Cause I mean, there's no way not to, but I'm like you, I, I, don't think I'd ever seen that. I haven't. I haven't heard of it, but it's brilliant. Yeah, it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So anybody, yeah, that's that's, cool anybody idea. listening to this that wants to sell a really cool concept to DC, <laughs> there, <laughs> there's not it. Uh, don't mention me in it because Charles will come after me and cave my skull in. <laughs> Unless there's a twenty percent involved. Yeah, there's a, a little little, kick, <laughs> little kickback would be nice. Yeah. All right, neurons out there, it is me again, your most humble host, the Neon Neuron. Um, I would like to invite you to a place, a place of wonder, a place of magic, a place of creativity, where you can, you can share your ideas, you can be inspired and, and be, be connected to other neurons. Uh, that place is neonneuron.com. I host some of my paper projects there. I host the Neon Neuron podcast there. And I also link to friends of the show and friends of the Neon Neuron, fellow neurons who have shared their time with me. So please stop by, look around, and uh, tell me what you think. Will you? I hope so. I hope to see you there. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Yeah, you right there. You, hey. Where are you? Where are you at these days? I because um, I found you on Instagram. That's or I mean, other than uh, meeting you at the at the luncheons and stuff. But I mainly follow you on Instagram. If you want to track me down, um, 
Stoned Dot Ninja will get you there. Uh, HubrisComics.com will get you there. Uh, CravensCartoonist.com will get you there. Or GoComics.com slash The Buckets will find me. Any of that stuff. And then other than that, it's all just, you know, crazy random things. Put my name into Google and you wind up coming across odd, odd stuff. Uh, wait, before we end, speaking of odd stuff, Lewis the Duck. Oh, yes. We're going to talk about Lewis the Duck. There's another ad agency thing, which <laughs> really? is so much fun. Oh, yeah. It's 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 really cool. A, uh, a VP at uh, Homewood Suites years ago thought up, well, we need a bedtime story book in the hotel gift shop for people who are traveling with their kids. You know, a little mm -hmm. kid, you got a brand new bedtime story, and it needs to be our brand. And they have a duck in their logo, so they came up with Lewis the Duck. And okay. told their ad agency what they what they needed, and the ad agency looked over his... The guy wrote out an entire book. It was a huge book. It was way too big for a bedtime story. So they helped him out with the editing and brought it into line with, you know, okay, it's got your message, but now it's this many pages and it can be read as a bedtime story. Uh, we got this artist. We're going to have him show you four different, five different, you know, art styles for your Lewis the Duck character. And, you know, you pick one and then we're going to do this book. And that's where that started. And after the first one, they said, you know what, you know, we kind of need this, this second one in Spanish and let's do this and let's do that. So I think there's like five or six of those books now. Cool. And yeah, um, you were talking about you, you tried different styles with the art and yep. this one's coming out. Is this uh, what acrylic? Well, it looks like acrylic. It's all digital. Oh, wow. There, there yeah. are literally no Lewis the duck paintings in any of those books, but if you pick them up, that's what they want. They wanted, you know, the pokey puppy from 19, 40 whatever that you know 1950 yeah. the book came out they wanted that kind of painterly thing so uh the only physical artwork for that are uh rough pencils that are done over the top uh, of pencils done with the writer and the editor and me sitting in the room at the ad agency slamming them out over a four or five hour meeting so that everybody can sign off on them and we we save like weeks and weeks and weeks of time on every book doing it that way mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then the, all those right. pencils are tightened up and then scanned in and that's that's the base layer for the paintings and what program are you using to do this is this photoshop or yeah it's all photoshop wow um painter would have worked probably just as well um if yeah, not, i used to use painter better. a long time ago yeah i did too i in fact the first version i ever had came uh, I, I bought it along with my first computer and it came in a paint can you still bought it <laughs> in a big silver paint can with a big paper label that said painter on it that's cool that's good marketing right there it was it was it was probably terrible for shelf space yeah, yep. But, you know, you'd see it and you go, that's what I want right there. Of course, you'd open the can and there were like 12 floppy disks, you know, little four and a half inch disks. That yeah. you, had to, you, had, you had to sit there and stare at your computer and put them in one after the other whenever to ask for them. 
and then you'd have to go back to the one, two, one, two, two discs before, and then put in, you know, it, it was it, whatever it called for. You had to do it really quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'd never get it installed. But yeah, that's all done in yeah, Photoshop. I like this. Uh, I like, we're losing CD-ROMs now. CD-ROMs are no longer yeah, included. Yeah, in my, most my latest computer. I'm getting. I go. Where do you put in a CD? And they go. Why would you want to put a CD in anything? Oh God! Give me the peripheral that's got a CD drive <laughs> in it. You know, whatever, whatever machine you're selling now. Give me one that I can plug in. Right. And I think my everything kids are just download everything. Like I have to back up all of my applications, all of the drivers, and all, everything because it's like, what if it's just not? Because my Cintiq is from. I don't know, 2007. A friend gave it to me because he got oh, yeah, a new yeah. one. And so this one's a, what is it, a 12WX or something? Yeah, so you're, you got to back it up like it's an old style computer from a few years ago because it is an yep. old style computer from a few years ago. Yeah. And then uh, once I lost the, uh, I lost the driver on one of my, and I was like, ah, oh, great. And I, I couldn't use it accurately. And I downloaded the wrong driver. So it had all these other oh, no. settings. Yeah. And yeah, I had like, are, are Windows compatible. So, so removing a driver is probably a pain in the butt. Yeah. Oh, man. So I'm just waiting for this thing to, for the screen to go out. And then once that happens, <laughs> I'll see how much money I have saved up and hopefully buy a new one. Yep. Yep. Uh, Wacom does a, a really nice deal with the National Cartoonist Society. We get a little bit of a break on uh, on the prices on the new equipment. Wow. And I was really eyeballing. They got a new 16-inch machine that, you know, if you can plug it into your Mac and just, you know, toss it in your lap and keep on working. And it's like, oh, and they're giving me 600 buck break off of this thing, you know. And then you start... <laughs> You know, rather than seeing what you could save on it, you're looking at what you're actually spending on it going, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing that today. Yeah. But next time I buy a computer, that's what I'm good. Yeah. It's a, I'm, I'm eyeballing this Voltron Lego set at the big <laughs> store. And yeah. I'm just like, every time I'm there, I'm like, I don't need it now. I don't need it now. <laughs> but it'll be needed one day. Yeah, one day I'm going to lose all self-control and it's going to be like, I'm taking it home today. So I got to I gotta stay out of there for yep, a couple yep. of months, <laughs> maybe for Christmas. Yeah, and once once it gets down to Christmas, you can justify it then. It'll be fine. Yeah, just patience. <laughs> but thanks for thanks for chatting with me today. Um, it's pleasure, been absolutely. super informative, <laughs> like especially all the history on what is the, the cocktail board? Steel board, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, go to your go to your local art supply place, or jump onto uh, what is it online? It's easy to deal with Jerry's, and uh, you know, see if you can't order yourself some coquille board to play with. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, but, uh, you can edit out all the really boring parts and just leave in the the fun history, because everybody knows how how wonderful history is. Surprisingly, like that's how a lot of podcasts are these days. They're like, we'll tell you history in a great, funny way. Yep, yep. Uh, there's a couple of them that I enjoy listening to, like that. Uh, are you a fan of the dollop? Uh, that's not one of the ones that I've been I've been listening to. Um, what's the uh, uh, the way things work? Uh, oh, the way things just, work. Um, what's they they got the history thing? Oh, the things you. Uh, things you should have learned in history class or what's, I can't remember the, the, the actual title of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't pay any attention to the title anymore. I just click on it whenever there's a new episode. 
Um, and it's the, the two, two girls in Atlanta that are doing it, or actually one's in Boston now. But uh, the one I've been listening to lately is Disgraceland, and there's some there's some rock and roll murder history for you if you want to listen to all that. Disgraceland, it's, it's called. Disgraceland, and it's all it's right. informative, and it's rock and roll crime, and nice. it's exciting. My wife's into the whole crime stuff. I kind of try to stay away from that. It, uh, it, it doesn't put me in a good mood. Yeah, my wife does the same thing. I'm worried that she's doing research for how to bump me off when she's really, <laughs> really sick and tired of me. That's the fear, right? They'll watch five episodes of Black Widow. Black Widows. Yeah. And you go downstairs and you're watching Dateline. Why are you watching Dateline? Dateline is just a, you know, it's a how to how to murder your spouse show. Don't watch yeah. Dateline. Don't do that. <laughs> or Nightline. It's Dateline. I think it's Dateline. Yeah, one of those lines, but one of, one of those lines that's teaching her stuff. I don't want her to know. Yeah. Like how to get rid of bodies. <laughs> I know she'll tell me she'll be like at night she'll be like did you know this lady killed her husband in a vat of acid and I'm like let's didn't know it didn't need to know it yeah (laughs) is it safe to go to sleep tonight concerned that you know it (laughs) (laughs) yeah well this has been fun let's do it again sometime yeah but thanks again Greg. concludes uh this conversation i say uh way too much the uh and the ums have got to stop and i'm working on it this is a work in progress it's not it's not easy but it's fun and it's something that i enjoy doing like talking with greg i enjoyed talking with greg i enjoyed talking with everybody i've talked to so far and i'm learning and i'm getting better and i'm not thinking so much when I'm communicating and when I think too much that's where the oh and the ohms start messing up and and just falling out all over the place when I really let go and when I really just have fun with it that's when I'm just talking with with you dear sweet neurons out there and and talking with Greg neuron or Johnny neuron or Alex neuron or every other neuron that I've spoken with since the inception of the Neon Neuron podcast. And I really enjoy, I I really, really, really enjoy. This is something I would love to pursue. And this is something I'm gonna pursue. Whether I'm only putting out one episode a month or one episode every three months, or if I can live the dream and put out an episode a week, that's what I'm gonna do because something compels me. The power of creation compels me. It compels me to do these things and to deny these, this creative art, this creative form, to deny creation is to deny what it means to be alive. And so that's why I really like talking with people like Greg, with artists like Greg Cravens. And just one more time, I just want to remind you guys, he's out there. Other artists are out there, so please, let's support each other. Let's not just help each other float, let's lift each other up. Let's build this community into what it really can be, something wonderful. And with that, dear neurons, it is time to say goodbye for now.
neurons that fire together wire together.